0: This morning's message is taken from the book of Acts, chapter one. And the title of this is Five Essential Keys for Success. It's the first slide there. And we want to really uh, focus on five things that Jesus did and what he said between the time that he was resurrected from the dead and the time he ascended. That 50 day period was absolutely critical to what God was going to do in the, in the future. In fact, if his disciples if, uh, missed what Jesus was teaching and doing in that period of time, uh, the, the church would never have succeeded. And so it, I can't imagine just how how passionate Jesus must have been as he, was, he had risen from the dead. So he had paid the price that was necessary for the world to be saved. But now it all depended upon those who who were his followers, his church, to carry out the mission that was made possible through his death and resurrection. And that same passion, I am certain, is still in the heart of Christ for his church today. There are churches today that are dying. I've been reading articles just the last couple of weeks and they come to me from different bloggers I have and different Christian sites. And and one was uh, uh, nine signs that your church is dying. And I read them and I thought, wow, it's so sad Uh, because churches by the score are actually closing their doors because they've lost something. And basically what they've lost is the younger generations. The younger generations have looked at the church and said, it's not for me but what they haven't seen is the risen Jesus because once you have a glimpse of the risen Jesus it changes things the church becomes the most important part of your life it it becomes the foundation upon which you build your life it becomes the foundation upon which you build your 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 family and your church acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 in my former book theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a 40-day period. I want you to notice he appeared to them. He showed himself alive with many convincing proofs you see the church would never have seated succeeded if had this not have happened the death and resurrection of jesus would have never taken them into the future with the passion and the conviction and the sense of mission they had had they not had this impersonal this personal post resurrection encounter with the living christ and friends this morning as the church we need that as much today as they did then. Christianity is not just a set of doctrines or practices, but Christianity is founded on that wonderful revelation of Jesus to our hearts and to our lives that is both personal in each of our lives and corporate in the whole church. Every one of us here this morning who known Jesus could give a different story of how he appeared to us. How you were first convinced that You needed to give your life to Christ because he died for you, that he lives for you, that the purpose of life is in serving him, and and what God is doing today is building his church. There would be as many different accounts of your personal experience with Jesus as there are people here today that know him. He does do that. He shows himself alive with many convincing proofs. The world needs those convincing proofs today. You say, well, that must mean miracles and healings. And Yes, of course it does. But it means something even greater than that. It means the evidence of a life that's been changed by the power of Christ. There is no greater witness than that in all the earth. Our lives need to, re- to reflect a, a something dynamic that can only happen through a personal res- uh, relationship with jesus a personal conviction that he is alive and if you don't have that conviction today or if you had it once but it's you seem to have drifted away from that personal relationship with jesus that you once had and you want that restored well today it can begin and i pray it will if you're here and you've never began a journey with christ to follow him as his disciple as a follower of christ then today can be your beginning as well. And that'll change your life forever, not just for time, but for eternity. The second important key that Jesus gave is that he gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit. That's the third slide. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Instructions, some translations say, commands. After he gave commandments, if you have a King James uh, version or other versions, use the word commands or as what we're quoting here, the NIV, it says instructions. They're the same thing. Commands. There are some things some people in this generation which live live particularly where where people say, I'm my own person. I'm not going to be commanded or directed by anybody. Uh, I'm not under Anybody else's rule, I'll just do my own thing. And we live in a culture that celebrates that uh, to some degree. In fact, to a a great degree. But when it comes to knowing Jesus, you can't just know him and yet not obey him. You can't just know him and yet not have a a real sense that your life has a, a framework within which you live and move and have your being in Christ. And so the commands of Jesus, the commands of Christ are very important. In fact, there's a whole sense today among some people that all the commands of the, are of, the old, of the Old Testament aren't valid today because when Jesus came, we received grace and we don't have to worry about the law. Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Those are the words of Jesus. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Well, Israel failed miserably in keeping the law. And I won't get into the whole teaching of why God even tried to... to. Uh, Expect from them that they would follow the law. That they would do what he said. There's a whole teaching about that in the New Testament. And basically, the law was given in order to prove to man that we can't keep it. That we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from the penalty of the law, which is death. That's a whole other teaching. But when God gives us the law today, he also gives his, us his grace. And his grace is the power of to keep the laws of God and to live within the will of God. And one of the greatest failures of the church is that we have the doctrines of grace, but we don't have the power that enables us to keep the doctrines that grace is all about. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, we read this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Think about it. Jesus gave his, or God the Father gave us his son, second person of the Trinity. He gave him as a human being to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary in order that he might, through him, give us all things that we need. Do you have needs this morning? You've been made more than a conqueror through Christ. That provision is there for you. You're having a struggle keeping the commands of God. You're struggling with sin or addiction or some other thing, doubt or unbelief. Listen, the power of God's grace is here for you today to enable you, to equip you, to make you more than a conqueror because he loves you and gave himself for you. And the Bible says that Jesus will build his church upon the ability of people. It's really not so much the ability, it's more the willingness of people to receive the grace of God in their lives and to be able to obey the commandments he gives. Some people say, well, the commandments are gone. They they don't exist. And, And I'm just going to give you, right in your notes, I'll just give you one example this morning, but for every commandment in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, there are several New Testament counterparts. For example... The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. In uh, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I won't go into the context where he said that, but that's what Jesus said, which is a correspondence to that commandment, that first commandment of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Jesus said, for as it is written. He was referring to the commandment of the Old Testament, bringing it into the New Testament, and teaching and giving his life so that we would have the power to keep them. Your notes give you references for all of the commandments, and I'll just, I'll just uh, leave it there for now. The third thing I want to talk about, Is what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them. uh, This is slide number seven. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, this was critical to what Jesus did. He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs, they saw the miracles of his physical resurrection. Other proofs I'm sure that they had experienced in their own lives as they looked back at the miracles and the things that Jesus had done and said. But now in this very special time of concentrated training and impartation in preparation for the beginning of the church that would happen on the day of Pentecost just a few days later, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And in the minds of the disciples, they didn't understand what that meant exactly. Jesus went to great lengths uh, to teach about the kingdom of God. And later, when the Holy Spirit came, they started to understand what he meant. Um, first, I'm going to talk just about two things today. I'm going to talk about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the kingdoms of this world. And I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God and earthly kingdoms or political kingdoms or nations and i'll just talk about each of them briefly the first thing is that there is a distinct difference between the kingdom of god and this world in which we live in 1 john chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 jesus said do not love the world this is slide 8 or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So here is this thing called the world, the cosmos. Sometimes it actually refers to the physical creation. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he refers to the world. He's talking about a system of things that has as its tempter or driving force, Satan. And the power of the world is the power of sin. It's the power of human rebellion, that, which has been with us since the beginning. So the world, the lust, he says, of the flesh... The desire to satisfy the physical person rather than the spiritual person. To sacrifice spiritual realities and pursuits for the physical needs and the physical pleasures of life. And they can come in many forms. It can be sports, it can be uh, money, it can be just so many different things. One of the ways that God confronts the church with this whole thing about the the lust of the flesh, the lust that satisfies me, that. uh, One of the ways is tithing. It's the giving of our finances, the surrender of our finances to the lordship of Christ. And the New Testament is full of scriptures that teach about that. And so these become challenges to us. This comes back not just to the resurrection of Jesus and our relationship with him, but the commandments he gives that in obedience to those commandments we come into the fullness of the Kingdom of God in our lives. And so, whenever Jesus presents to us the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, he challenges us with the lust of the flesh. And then he talks about the lust of the eyes the things that we don't have but we want, things of this world more money, more influence, more whatever. It could also refer to sexual sin. Not satisfied in your marriage with the spouse God has given you. Or just before you're married, getting involved in, in sexual relationships outside of marriage. All of these become lust-based. They become world-based. They become Satan the tempter-based instead of the kingdom of God-based. And then he talks about the pride of life. How we become so independent from God. Spiritual pride, the pride of man, is to live his life or her life outside of the provisions of God. To even deny his existence. To to deny his claims in our lives. By the way we live, to deny the provisions of the cross and the call of God to obedience to the cross. To live a life that is acceptable to God through the sacrifice of our lives in keeping with the sacrifice of Christ one missionary said how dare i offer to god that which cost me nothing when what he gave to me cost me everything so what did jesus pray his great high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, he wrestled in prayer with the great challenges that the church would face between the choice between the kingdom of God, the authority of God in our lives, and the provisions of God in our lives, the wonderful graces of God that are offered through his kingdom, between that choice and the choice of the world. And he said this, I pray for them, referring to his church. This is number nine. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given, given me, for they are yours. So there, there, there was this, fo- this group of followers, but Jesus saw beyond the group of followers to right here, right now, today, in this church, us who've chosen to follow him and to serve him, and you know what? He's praying for us. Do you know that Hebrews chapter 7 says that he forever lives as our high priest making intercession for us? Wow, there's a prayer meeting going on in heaven right now. And Jesus is leading that prayer meeting. And he's praying for you. And when we gather in his name, heaven connects to earth. Where just two or three are gathered, I am in your presence, in your midst, corporately, he says. So the power of the potential anointing for the prayer of God's people when they come together to pray, not just your private prayers, that's important, but there is such a, a, a kingdom dynamic that is increased in our lives when we come together to pray corporately. And we can't really say we're living in obedience to Christ as a church if we relegate the place of prayer to an afterthought or to a time of our convenience Because it will always be that it's never convenient, it seems. He prayed in that same prayer, John 17, this is slide 10. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he's praying that for us today. The temptations to sin, to self, to pride to just disregarding his commands, choosing those commands we obey and those we won't. But he prays for you. He's praying today. The power of the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit, is here to lift you from those areas where you're not released into the fullness of the kingdom of God to give you the power to do so, to be a part of the kingdom of God. Second thing I want to talk about is politics, because if we're not of the world, how do we fit into the world around us when it comes to all aspects, whether it be education, whether it be uh, entertainment and music, whether it be literature, or whether it be politics? And today there's so much talk about politics and and all of the different things that are happening in the world and the threat and... and uh, um, Today, world leaders are coming to the United Nations, invited there by the United States, not today, but this coming week. And there's, they're going to be talking about world issues. What do you do with Kim Jong-un? And again, another missile this week. And again, right over the nation of Japan. And again, air raid sirens, sirens going off in that nation and people cowering away in fear, flashing back to World War II when their country was under siege. What do we do with that? Today, it's not like World War II when the only people that had the nuclear bomb were the Americans, and they only had it at the end of the war. Today, many nations, including North Korea, is demonstrating that they do have the bomb. And what will happen? So there's great fear. And there's great striving in the world to try to fix... The problems of mankind. And what do we do? Well, let's start with our own government. How does the church relate to politics? And here's what uh, Jesus did when the Pharisees came and tried to entrap him. Because Jesus was living under the authority of the Romans, as was everyone in the then known world, or the major part of the world. The Roman Empire was in force. And the Romans were cruel tyrants. They would kill Christians. Of course, at the time of Jesus, there were no Christians. They were just followers of Jesus. Christianity came later, after his resurrection, and after the descent of the Holy Spirit. And for some over 300 years, Christians were killed and tortured, fed to lions. They were crucified on crosses by the, by the hundreds, by the thousands. They were impaled. They were, it was renounced Christ and say, Jesus is Lord. And that you have to say, Caesar is Lord, and Christians wouldn't do that, and for that they were killed. And so whenever the Pharisees came to Jesus, and he knew very well the wickedness of the Romans because of their uh, their political attacks against the nation of Israel often, and other nations as well, um, Jesus knew their hypocrisy, it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 16 to 7. That's number 11. Uh, you can go to the 11th one there. And uh, he said this, why are you trying to trap me? Because if they could trap Jesus into saying something against the Caesar or the Roman Empire, they could have him killed by the Romans. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius, which is a coin, and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So Jesus was in that statement to the Pharisees, making a distinction between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. And he said, You need to honor the leader, the government the authority in the country in which you're living. And this was kind of hard to compute because of how evil the Roman Empire was. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, slide 12, uh, Paul said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving giving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So how do we relate to governments? Even when we don't agree with them or even when they pass laws that are very detrimental to the morals of our country, how do we we relate to them? Paul says you pray for them nowhere in either the teachings of Jesus or other teachings of the new testament are we given license to hate them or to show contempt for them or to e- even speak evil about them we are to pray for them and there's a fundamental reason why the reason is that we're of the world in the world but we're not of the world our focus just as paul said in this is, in this scripture is that whenever we pray for our governments, we are actually connecting with God and the mission of the church and his desire that all people be saved. So Paul, it's interesting how the whole journey of Paul uh, tracked through the book of Acts and how he respected the Roman authority, even though they were very often very evil, but in respect. He appealed to Caesar and he went to Festus and he went to King Agrippa and then later into Caesar's palace. And everywhere he went, he garnered respect. And many, many, many people came to Christ in Caesar's household because of his attitude toward the authorities. We don't win people by hatred or showing contempt. We win them through love. Diocletian became the emperor in 67 ad and he was such a terrible terrible emperor that in order to focus attention away from himself and onto others he started a very terrible purge against the christians and under him both peter and paul were executed as were several others in that period of time and it began just a terrible three centuries of persecution and terror against the church So how do you pray for people that do that? How do you pray for people who enact laws that uh, are so ungodly and immoral? Many of those kinds of laws are being enacted in our own country right now. How do we, what do we do? Should we just say, well, I don't, that's not my problem. I'm not into politics. I'm just into the kingdom of God. Or do we, do we have do we have a responsibility ability towards the world in which we live, even though we're not of it? What about this issue of violence or force or war? Jesus taught peace, but does that mean that we never engage in force? Well, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 2 says this. This is slide 14. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and who will so, and so will bring judgment on themselves. He went on to say Authorities do not bear the sword for no reason. So, what, what do we take from that? The authorities are appointed by God, really? Well, you have to understand that many evil authorities actually enact good laws. The Romans enacted several good laws. And Paul said, You need to obey those laws you need to respect them even though they are corrupt and they're violent and they're they're everything that is not true of the kingdom of god but those laws because they because authority is something that god has established it doesn't mean that the misuse of that authority in so many areas justifies you from disobeying those authorities in areas that are just, that are just and so if the authorities do not bear the sword in vain, but they are instruments of God, when it comes to the rule of law, see, the law was given in the Old Testament because sin need to be, needed to be controlled. It was given to control sin. In the New Testament, it's the same. The laws of, in the, enacted in the world around us by authorities are therefore the rule of law and order for the keeping of the peace and for the advancement of good. And so if that means that to be a police officer you have to carry a gun and that there's time that you might even have to use deadly force, that doesn't disqualify you from being a police officer because Jesus taught peace and not violence. He taught that in the kingdom of God. We should never use violence or force or hate to try to influence people for the kingdom of God or try to to enact righteousness in the earth what we do need to do is recognize that when it comes to the authorities of this earth and their responsibility to keep law and order, even if it uses force, to be able to be a part of that when called upon and when necessary. So would I enlist in, a, in the army if the cause was just? Well, they wouldn't take me at my age, but if I was young enough... I certainly would. So politics, the world, sorting it all out. If you're concerned about politics, run for office. Uh, Some of my greatest joys of being in Ottawa during the time that we were there was uh, the invitation was given us to attend the parliamentary prayer breakfasts, which happen every week. And then the national prayer breakfast, which is once a year, and I, and I had one on my desk this year, uh, an invitation from Ottawa to attend that because I'm on their list. And every year I want to go, but every year it's just a matter of cost and time and other things that, come become a part of that. And maybe I should be going more often than I am, but it's a joy to be there and see all of these parliamentarians from all different. Uh, Parties—the NDP, the Liberals, the Conservatives—with sincere, honest Christians within those parties coming together to pray for each other. It's not what you see on television when you see all of the, uh, you know, the, the adversarial approaches to politics today, but in the context of their faith in Christ, they are—it's very, uh, it's very rich to be there and see that. So should we be involved, involved in politics? Yes. If you want to talk about more of that more, come out on Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, we can have some time given to that. And uh, it's more than I have time to pursue here. But let me say this. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says this. The seventh, this is slide 13. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, "The kingdoms." Kingdom or kingdoms, uh, depending on the translation you have. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. You see, it doesn't matter what nation, what political system, what political leaders are in the world today or in the world in the times past or in times future. The kingdoms of this world will one day come to an end. But the kingdom of our God and of his Christ will last forever. Our primary responsibility is to the kingdom of God. I'm going to jump down to slide 16 or uh, 15 now. Um, the fourth thing that Jesus said, and I'll be talking about this more next week. The fourth key, if you will. The first key being the personal appearance of Jesus. The second key being the commandments that he gave and our responsibility to them. The third key being the kingdom of God in its many facets. I only just touched briefly on a couple this morning. But now, this fourth key. Jesus said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was a concept they didn't quite understand. They knew Jesus. He had been with them. He was right in front of them physically when he said this. But who's this Holy Spirit? And how do I get baptized by him? Is there somebody going to come along and take me down to the Jordan and baptize me? And Is this a second baptism in water? What is this? And so he they, they were not sure about what it was. And so he said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. And they did. In obedience to Christ. For ten days. In an upper room. <laughs> with nothing happening. They were praying. They were interceding. And the Holy Spirit came. And we'll talk about that much more next week. And then finally, the fifth key. As Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God and all of these things and showing himself, they, they start to focus on the here and now and the temporal expression of the kingdom of God. This is slide 16. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the dates that the father set by his own authority. And then he went on to say, but you shall wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Um, How much time should we give in trying to figure out Bible prophecy or when this or that or that, the other thing is going to come? It's important to do so. The book of Revelation says it's very important to know the times and the seasons. But we can be so fixated on that we miss the purposes of God in the earth today to establish his kingdom. We know he's coming. We don't know when. We don't know. We know the kingdoms of this world will vanish, and, and the kingdoms of our God, the kingdom of our God, will rule and reign forever. We know there'll be a new heaven and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness, the very essence of the kingdom of God, in its, in its total release of expression. We know these things are coming, but what is important right now is the mission. What's important right now is your life and my life as it relates to, first of all, knowing him, having a personal revelation of him, of being able to receive the power of his Holy Spirit to keep his commandments and to do his will. To have within our mind and our heart and everything about us a perspective about the kingdoms that we live in. So many expressions of what the enemy wants to drag you into so many things he offers, so many temptations, people around you, and and the enemy uses people to influence God's people to compromise their walk with Christ, to compromise their morals, to compromise in so many ways. And so the kingdom of God and, and understanding that he's praying for his people, he's praying for you today, that you would be kept from the world. And know the release of the power of God in your life. And then Holy Spirit, we, can't, we cannot do this by ourselves. We can't just let Jesus go to heaven and let us just go on our own. We need somebody who is a paraclete, that's a Greek word that means someone who's just like the other. And Jesus said he would send the comforter, the paraclete, somebody who'll be just like... Me. And one of the things Jesus said is that he will glorify me. And so what we don't have through the benefit of a personal, physical confrontation daily with Jesus, not a confrontation, but relationship with Jesus daily, we have that same relationship through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How many want more of God this morning? How many want to see him in all of his wonder and beauty? We're going to enter into worship in just a few moments. One very important part of worship is our tithes. As we bring our tithes to the Lord, we're obeying precepts of his kingdom. So worship team, would you come and ushers, you don't have to wait for them, just come right now and we're just going to worship the Lord together with our tithes. And this is such an important part of the kingdom of God, the church, obeying the word of the Lord. So as you offer your tithes, and some of you might have already given in the, in the office to the Interact, it doesn't matter how you do it. We know, Lord, that you're building your church.